0: Chapter 3, verse 23 in your Bible, in the Old Testament of your Bible. And uh, just wanted to remind you of that, in case you're probably very familiar with that marvelous song and how beautifully done. But sometimes we forget where that good news comes from, and it comes from right here. And it's interesting, the book of Lamentations, for instance, just a side note here, written, uh, we believe, mostly by the prophet Jeremiah, and when he wrote these lamentations, to lament, it means to cry it means to cry out for, it means to long for. And really when he wrote that, it reminds me that in the midst of that generation and in our generation, there are many days when we we just need to remind ourselves of the of the great faithfulness of our God. Amen? The great faithfulness of our God. Today's been very interesting. I have very much enjoyed our service today thus far. I hope it's okay to use the word enjoy. I mean it in the biblical context, the joy of the Lord, the joy of our salvation, the fact that the Lord wants us to enjoy his presence. He wants us to be satisfied in him. He wants us to long for him. He wants us to rejoice in the good gifts that he's given us. That's the redeemed life. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be rescued. And in this service today, this morning, it's been a picture of really, I guess, a theme that I tried to emphasize as a pastor. And the theme was this. When I was involved in planting and, and, and starting a church, we talked often about reaching our neighbors and the nation's. Well, because, you know, quite honestly, and some of you probably can remember this, some of you were here uh, years ago when this church was started, you know, when, when, you, when, you don't, when you don't already have folks showing up for church, it kind of puts the pressure on you to make sure you're reaching your neighbors, because it gets kind of lonesome showing up to preach a sermon and nobody being in the room, amen? And so we were focused, we knew we had to reach the neighbors, but we also realized that the, that the Lord has called us to make disciples of all nations, so we... We didn't want to become myoptic in our vision. We wanted to reach our neighbors in the nations, and that's why within a year of starting that church, we embarked on an overseas, well, it wasn't really overseas, it was really more just across the border. We went on a mission trip to Mexico. Then before you know it, we were were in uh, South Asia, and then we were in Europe, and I used to often tell the church that it would be our goal to put, for for us to have a church member who set foot on every continent to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, Antarctica was, you know, I was optional. But in the latter years of pastoring there, as our church had grown to now close to a thousand in attendance, and we were in three worship services, and, and of course, you're trying to help folks stay on the same page. You're trying to help folks stay focused on the mission and to stay focused, really, on the Lord, ultimately, we kind of amended, I kind of amended that statement of reaching our neighbors and the nations. It started saying, let's reach our neighbors, the nations, and all generations, Our church had been blessed with many, many young people, just uh, one of the largest teenage groups you can imagine. And it was amazing because when that church was started, we actually were started, if you looked at our crowd the first Sunday, there were probably, there were more people there over the age of 60 than there were under the age of 16. And I was only 32 years old. So it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't seem to match up with what sociologists would tell you would be the dynamics. But that's how the Lord started us out. And it was a great start because we were blessed with some people who knew how to pray. They knew how to give. They knew how to serve. And they were kind of tired of sitting on the bench or the pew. And they wanted to get put back in the game. They wanted to be back in the race. They wanted to be back fighting a good fight. But in those latter years, I became sensitive to the fact that if we're not careful, We could lose the understanding. And I tell you, this is something this church has reinforced for me. And I can't help but think about the other week when I put that picture on the screen of my grandfather, my father, my brother, my son, and myself. The picture of multiple generations. And I wanna just encourage you, church. I think that is something that Mount Pleasant ought to be prayerful about. Because I think you have the makings of, I think you have the fundamentals. I think you have the foundation to be a mighty church that can share the good news of Jesus with all the generations. And I share that with you today because as I saw this, this group of boys and girls come up, and you know, that's, man, I bet there's most of us in here. I was even, man, I was, I was more nervous standing up here trying to sing along with them than I, than I probably am right now. And they're up here and they're standing in front of you and, and they're singing and they're, they're trying to remember the words and they're trying to sing in the midst of so much information that they have in their brains. But I tell you what, folks, that's, that's something to praise God for. That God has continued to bless our church now after many decades still with these children, they don't have the memories you have. They don't have the memories I have. They've grown up in a world when they see a telephone hooked by a cord to a wall. They want to know what it is. It's funny. The other year I saw a little, a little one. He was, playing, he was playing grocery store. And instead of doing what I would have done as a child, punching in the numbers into the cash register, you know what he was doing, right? Beep. Beep, beep. But loved ones, understand this. It's still the same gospel. It's still the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why we must embrace the opportunity before us. This is a church that is blessed with hundreds of people that week after week, some week after another week, (laughs) it depends on their attendance pattern, will come here, hear a sermon, sing praises. you know what, folks, that's opportunity for us. That's opportunity. Because we live in a world, we live in a world that's not that different than the world that Joshua was leading the people of God in. Thousands of years ago, we live in a world where just, just across the border, there are people that do unspeakable things. There are people that, well, there's no other way to describe it than just to say they're just pagan in every way. And if we're not careful, we as the people of God can be a a lot like the Israelites. And we, we at times can almost want to, almost want to submit ourselves back to the slavery of yesteryear. Isn't that isn't that isn't that incredible to think of when you read Joshua how there were times where these folks, for a couple generations, for Joshua's generation, for the generation older than Joshua, like Moses' generation, these folks, there were actually days when they wanted Moses to turn around and take them back to Egypt. Can you imagine? You see, the promised land is a picture for us, not of heaven, not of heaven but really of the victorious Christian life. And the book of Joshua is about giving us a picture from this real historical account of how God now, through our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to help us to cross over into that victory, that promised land. That land that the Bible tells us about, that land where we are indeed filled with the Holy Spirit, that land where we're seeing the gospel transform lives, the good news of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is in desperate, desperate need of learning the song, I surrender all that those boys and girls were singing. We live in a world that needs to know the song that young lady was singing, great is thy faithfulness. There are people this morning in their cars driving by this edifice, driving by this large red brick building. There are people in the sheet store right now, people in the Home Depot right now, and they are trying to cobble together an existence. Yet what they need in their lives is the transforming power of the good news of Jesus Christ. So take your Bible, find Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. In Joshua 2, we were going to read this morning of a lady who lived in such a place. A lady who desperately needed to know that the one true God would be faithful to her. A lady who had seen the rough side of life. A lady who in many ways you would have said was living on the wrong side of the tracks. A lady who was just trying to survive in a desperately wicked world in a very bad place. She was doing the best she knew how to do. Yet you and I, well we wouldn't have wanted our kids playing with her kids. We wouldn't have wanted to go go over to her house for anything because She lived in a house of ill repute, but she was a lady who desperately needed the good news, the good news that God is for her, that God could deliver her from such a lifestyle. So Joshua chapter 2, we're going to read of a lady named Rahab. Rahab has her life transformed as she puts her faith and trust in the Lord and his plan of salvation. She's been called a shady lady who lived in a house of shame. But she's transformed literally into the royal family of God, of the king of kings, and you will also find her name in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, the hall of faith. This is an, an incredible story of spies, of intrigue, 007 type stuff, folks, but mostly, though, about a lady who is saved from destruction. Joshua chapter 2, here's God's word. Look at it with me. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. As they went, came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It says this, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel who come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who've come to you, who entered your house, for they've come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where they went, wh- Where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof, hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as pursuers had gone up. Now look at verse eight. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Before you, when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please. Swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Let's pray. Father, help us this day to take to heart your word. Help us to understand how you worked in Rahab's life, how you're at work in people's lives even to this day. Lord, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. O oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I can still remember several times that i've had the privilege at christmas time ministering at the women's prison located off route 288 in courthouse road i don't even know if you're even aware that there is a state prison right there not very far from where this church is located Because of a group of ladies that do a Bible study there week in and week out, because of me uh, ministering in a church with one of them, she eventually gave me and our worship team at our church an invitation to come and to do a Christmas program for these ladies in this prison. And I can remember going through the process of just getting in to the prison, having to go through the search having to have already given them my identification so they could do a background check on me, seeing the barbed wire, seeing how sterile, how dark and dank the prison is in so many ways, walking by the prison guards, beginning to try to talk with them even though they acted as if they themselves were not really used to talking to anybody. And then we stood there And I'll admit to you, I stood there a little bit nervous, wondering how it was going to be. What was I to say in this little sermon to these ladies? How was I going to encourage them when they were going to spend Christmas away from their loved ones? When they were going to go right back in to that cell from which they had come? How could I encourage them? Well, I stood there. I stood there, and in a few moments, the ladies began to march in. They began to march in wearing, of course, their prison attire. They didn't have on Christmas outfits. They didn't have on Christmas sweaters. They come marching in there quietly, some without saying a word, looking around as if to be as nervous as I knew I was. They took their seats orderly. Whenever they had to go to the restroom, they would raise their hand. They would walk to one of those guards and they would ask her, May I go to the restroom? I'm going to go to the restroom. Is that all right? And they would head towards that restroom. Loved ones, I share that with you because that night, and I, went, I was back there just this past Christmas again, as I was there sharing God's word, it was an amazing place to be. To see these ladies, they didn't necessarily need just more education, though many of them did. They didn't just need counseling, although many of them had certainly needed counseling because of some of the horrendous things they had experienced growing up. Not only did they need treatment, and many of them have needed treatment because drug abuse has been rampant in many of their lives. Even though many of them would face incredible obstacles when they would one day be released from prison, I knew that night that we were there with one mission. We were there to share with them about the one true God. We were there as we would lead music and as we would sing our songs for them to understand we were not there to put on a show. We were there to worship the Lord and to invite them to join in with us. And something miraculous eventually began, began to happen. These ladies, who many of them themselves had had a background a lot like Rahab, began to stand to their feet. They began to sing these songs. They began to worship the Lord. Some of them would put their hands up. Some of them couldn't help resist. Uh, this but to put their hands together and begin to clap they began to show smiles on their faces and the joy in their hearts began to shine forth and it was an amazing night opening up the scriptures, sharing with them about how God had had a plan for so many people throughout the ages and to open the scriptures and to share with them the good news and to see them, some with tears coming down from their eyes as if they had already heard that news, but yet they had not stopped their weeping. Oh, some of them for the first time on the edge of their seats as if they had never heard this story before to hear that the one true God had spared no expense just so, yes, you, dear lady, you, dear lady, can go from being a prostitute, a pauper, to being a princess of the one true God. That's the transforming power of the gospel. Understand this, today I wanna speak to you about how Rahab needed more than rehab. I wanna talk to you about the transforming power of the gospel. You see, nature forms us, sin deforms us, prisons try to reform us, education informs us, but only Christ can transform us, amen? Amen. We need to be transformed. By the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, understand what the word gospel means. It literally means good news. So, let me give you four headlines this morning that I consider to be the good news that Rahab helps us to learn. Here's headline number one The providence of God is at work in saving people. The providence of God is at work in saving people. What you see here is is the providence of God, the work of God, in, in navigating and superintending that these spies would end up knocking on the door of Rahab. It's amazing, out of all the places that they could have gone, the door that the Lord led them to in this city that was a strange city to them, they end up knocking on the door of Rahab. Now, understand this. The people in her town were used to seeing, and I won't go into detail, but as you can imagine, because of how she had spent a lot of her adult life, they were somewhat not surprised to see strangers and men frequenting the door of Rahab. But God had begun to do a work in her heart. In fact, many commentaries believe that already by now, somehow Rahab had already yielded herself to the Lord and and, and had forsook her wicked ways and her sinful lifestyle. And when she opens the door, she's ready. She's ready for these messengers that God has sent to her doorstep. I want you to understand something this morning, church. The Holy Spirit is at work in bringing people to himself. Folks, listen, it is a miracle it's a miracle that that you and i are here listen we're not here because we're somehow better or more deserving than someone who grew up in a different neighborhood the reality is this is probably person after person in this room you could stand up and you could say I don't I don't totally understand how it is that I have come to understand I need the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender my life to him I don't really know why someone invited me to church and they didn't invite my younger brother I don't really know why I seem to have yielded myself to Christ understand this it is no mistake it's no cosmic accident that. Someone has shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you. That is totally the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit was at work in sending these spies to Rahab's house. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life. It's no mistake. It's no accident. You didn't just happen upon this church building this morning. If you do not know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, understand this God has you here on purpose. God wants you to know that he can change your life. I think about examples in the New Testament of the Bible. In Acts 8, Philip is sent to witness to the Ethiopian and then just as supernaturally is sent on to the next person. In Acts chapter 10, Peter witnesses to Cornelius. I think about the Lord Jesus himself. In John chapter 4, how he ministers to a lady, that Samaritan woman, who's a lot like Rahab. Listen, your past doesn't have to define your future. The Holy Spirit is at work in bringing people to himself. The Holy Spirit is at work in sending us to people. These two spies were sent. They accepted the commission and assignment and followed the instruction of the Lord God that Joshua had given to them in Joshua chapter one that we've talked about these past few weeks. Understand this, church. Listen, listen. God is not looking for your ability as much as your availability. Never forget that simple, wonderful statement. Rahab responds. Her response to them though, listen, is not about them, but about what the Holy Spirit had already been doing in her life. Look at how she responds in verse eight. She says, I know You find that in verse eight. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. She'd heard. She'd heard the testimony. People had been talking about what the one true God had been doing. Verse 10, for we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For, listen to this, the Lord, your God, he is God in the heaven above and on the earth beneath. Here's the second headline, confess your faith in the one true God to be saved. Oh yes, the providence of God is at work in saving people, but understand this, we confess our faith in the one true God to be saved. It's amazing, it's amazing that sometimes people think just just having faith in anything is enough. Well, I just, I am a person of faith. Listen, listen, the object of your faith is critically important. You can believe all kinds of things, but if the one in whom you believe is not true, it will not do you any good. Understand this. She gives a marvelous example of a confession of faith. In verse verse, verse nine, she says, I know. I know. She knew. She says, I know. And then in verse nine, she says, and that the fear of you. She says, I know. She had fear, and then she invites them in. Let me give you a picture of a confession of faith here. She knew, that's her mind. She had this fear. Something had gripped her. That's her emotions. You know what? Some of us, some of us, maybe we need to be re-gripped with a fresh understanding of whom we're talking about here. We're talking about the one true God. We're talking about the one who indeed did part the Red Sea. We're talking about the one in whom one day we will stand before him. This is not the man upstairs. This isn't some conjured up Santa Claus type image. Listen, listen. This is the one true God. And it says she received the spies. That's your will. Each and every one of us must come to the point where we confess our faith you know she recognized the evidence she observed the miracles that had changed the lives of god's people you know it's been said i wrote this down one cynic said if you want me to believe in your redeemer you're going to have to look a little more redeemed you see to her to her the people of god god's people they looked redeemed she had seen she was saying what god was doing in their lives. she would heard the stories I like this statement. Our world does not need a new definition of the gospel. It needs a new demonstration of the gospel. The people of this community, they need to see us living out the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to hear us sing these songs of joy. They need to to hear us knowing that we want them and their children and their teenagers. We want them even though they may have all kinds of background. We want them to know that God is for them not against them. She recognized the evidence. She responded with confidence. For verse 11, for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. Man, her confession of faith, that's not too bad for a lady who had never even seen a copy of the Holy Scriptures. That's not bad for a lady who had never heard a sermon, never been to vacation Bible school, but she'd heard the story, she'd, she'd heard the testimony and now she was seen face to face to these spies, these, these men of the Lord who had knocked on her door. I think about in the times that my wife and I or different teams we've, we've led, we'll go and we'll knock on a door. And people say, oh, in central Virginia, everybody's heard about Jesus. But how striking it would be, you knock on a door. And someone, it was as if they had never, ever heard the gospel. Some, oh, they would tell, oh, yeah, well, I go to church down in such and such street. But they had no idea even who the current pastor was. And when you really began to talk to them, they didn't really seem to understand. Oh, listen, listen, friend. Jesus came into this world so you would not remain condemned. John chapter three. I have to just read this to you for a moment. Just hold your place in Joshua. I mean, just read to you John chapter three, a few verses. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You've heard of John three sixteen, probably, right? Say amen. John three sixteen. you heard that? Amen. For God so loved the world. Listen, listen to what the Bible says here. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now listen to verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You know, when you read through the book of Joshua, there's a party that might go, man, why, why is it that God sends them in there? And it seems like they're just, they're just conquering and there's all this destruction. Understand this. The land of the Canaanites was an incredibly wicked place. Man, they sacrificed their own little children on altars. There was was rampant prostitution and harlotry and all that. And that was all done, quote, in the name of the worship of their God. Understand this. These folks had already condemned themselves. Yet God, God, even though you could look and say, it was all about the Israelites getting into the promised land. Understand this. Oh, he wanted to get his people to the promised land, but don't, but don't miss this. Along the way, the providence of God was at work and Rahab, Rahab confesses her faith. It's amazing church. You go and you look at Rahab. Rahab is mentioned in Hebrews 11 amongst the faithful. She's one of two women mentioned in the New Testament chapter, Hebrews 11. You know who the other one is? Sarah. Sarah. Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament book called Hebrews, that really was written towards Jewish Christians. And she is one of two ladies. The other is Sarah. She's like the matriarch. You know who's not mentioned in Hebrews 11? Joshua. He's not even mentioned. Caleb, who we'll talk about next week, he's not even mentioned. Rahab is. You know, Rahab, one of her descendants, is King David. You you also wanna know where she's mentioned? The Gospel of Matthew, why? Because Jesus is traced back to her. Oh, the transforming power of the Gospel. But then I want you to see the third headline. Don't miss this. We should be concerned that others are saved. Oh, she confesses her faith, but she is also concerned. She's concerned about her loved ones. She's concerned about others. Verse 12 reminds us of this. It says, now then please, she says, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. She says, listen, listen. I want want my father, I want my mother. I want my brothers, I I, I want my sisters. I want all who belong to them. (laughs) Please deliver our lives. Understand this. Are you concerned that others will be saved? Sometimes I don't think about it. You know, my, I was sharing with you all last week about teaching teenagers to drive. Last night, my daughter had to go to a couple of graduation events and she rode in the car with some friends. And I told my wife at dinner last night, I said, I am not comfortable with this. And she said, now you know why all these folks that have been here and done this have told us that their prayer life gets a lot stronger when their kids are teenagers. See, I'm concerned for my flesh and blood. And you know what? I ought to be concerned for everybody else's flesh and blood. I ought to be concerned that they're saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a child who's a prodigal. They may be grown prodigal. You may have not seen them for decades. What do you do? I don't mean this to sound spiritual or or too pastoral. Um, I guess you keep praying. Yes, you keep, on the lookout for him. I guess you keep asking others to pray. The example that I turn to is, well, the father of the prodigal son. It's kind of seemed like that's what he did, right? And we try to help come together to encourage one another. She has concern. Won't you ever be bashful about asking somebody to pray for your loved one? And let's understand this. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. You may not have known these boys and girls who are up here this morning. Like I said, maybe you say, I've been there, done that. You know what? There's somebody's little boy and little girl. And these little boys and little girl and, and, and little girls up here, they, they they know other people who aren't in that choir. They go to school with. One day they're gonna be riding each other's cars. They need our prayers. They need us to share the gospel with them. They need us to show them the love of Christ. They desperately need us to be concerned. Are you concerned? Maybe you just wanna begin to make a list of people that you're concerned for. There might be someone, maybe you're a wonderful cook, dear lady. It might shock the daylights out of somebody who you've lived across the street from for 15 years. If this week, if you make them a cake and you take it to them and say, hey, just want you to know I've lived here for so long, I've never baked you a cake. They say they're pretty good. I just want you to know, I love being your neighbor. And maybe you don't really. I mean, I don't want you to lie about it, but, but maybe, maybe you're having to love them in Jesus' name, you know? I just want to encourage in that. And then finally, don't miss this last headline. Look at this. I, I, I've saved to read this to the end. It says this. It says this. Look, look down at verse 18. This is what they tell her to do. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord, this deep red cord in the window through through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house, your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you and in this house, his blood shall be on our head. But I tell you, if I, but, but if you tell this business of ours, excuse me, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord, the scarlet cord. An interesting thing to do, and I don't have time this morning, is to read through the Bible and what they call the scarlet thread. And it begins around Genesis three, where throughout the Bible, you'll find instances of where throughout the whole Bible, it's what we call the scarlet thread. It's places where, where you see blood. It's places where there's sacrifices made and it's all pointing to the Lamb of God, to the Lamb of God. We did Lord's Supper, you know, last week. Drank the juice, symbolizing the blood. We just didn't come up with that. It reminds us that there is, listen, here it is, that there is one way to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. That's why this is so important, folks. There was only one way she could be saved. She had to trust them and believe they were coming back for her. And to symbolize her trust, she was gonna put down that scarlet cord. You know, when we do baptism, that that doesn't save you. That's a symbol of your trust in the Lord. That cord wasn't gonna save her. That cord was symbolic of her identifying herself with them. And there was only one way. There's one way. One way. Rahab, Here's the one way. This evening, I'm gonna get on an airplane to Ohio. I gotta be in Ohio this week for some meetings. And when I was booking this flight, I'm actually flying out of Washington, D.C. I gotta drive to Washington this afternoon to catch this plane. And here's the thing is, when I was looking for this flight, there were all kinds of different flights going to Ohio. See, there's more than one way to Ohio. So a lot of people think there's more than one way, one way. They think there's more than one way to heaven to eternal life, to abundant life. There's only one problem with that. Number one, Jesus said, I am the way, the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. So there's a scripture. Let me give you some common sense. Yes, there's more than one way to Ohio. The only problem is I'm not talking to you about going to Ohio. I'm talking about going to heaven and there's only one way. And the one who died for my sins, the one who overcame my sins and proved it through his resurrection said so. So, you know, we believe that Rahab didn't need rehab. She needed Jesus. Reminds me of a lady named Iris Blue, who I met at the women's prison. She was a guest invited this time to preach the sermon, to give a testimony, I guess we called it, you know. And then I kind of came up afterwards and did the invitation. Iris Blue worked the streets of Houston, Texas until she was so worn out, she said, that she became the madam and the girls worked for her. But one day, some brothers and sisters from, from Second Baptist Church Houston were sharing Christ as they walked down the street to anyone who would listen. And Iris happened to be listening. And Iris said that the providence of God, these folks came upon her. She heard the good news, she confessed her faith. Now she has that concern for others. So she travels to prison after prison sharing her story of how there's one way to be saved and how she knelt down as an old old lady but when she stood up after confessing jesus as her lord she was a princess of the king of kings that's good news isn't it let's pray father there's anyone within the sound of our voice who's heard this testimony today god i pray they'll come forward and let one of us know, one of the pastors down front know that they need you, Lord Jesus, that they'll put their trust in you. God, I pray across this room, we'll just grow very concerned for the souls of others. That we'll grow concerned for boys and girls and teenagers and men and women and older folks. Anyone who has breath left in their lungs, Lord, I pray we'll have a concern for their souls and we'll never forget that there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. And that's you, Jesus. If anyone is here today and they've never given testimony of their salvation or faith in you by baptism, I pray they'll come forward today and say they're ready to be baptized as a believer. And then maybe there are folks here today who wanna become a part of this church family and let folks know that they wanna be in this fellowship to grow but to also be sent to share the love of Christ with our neighbors. Oh God, move among these dear people, I pray. May we be strong and courageous. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.